Hello and welcome to the Indie Dog. I'm your host, Radha Thomas. Now, more than ever in Bangalore, the impunity with which drivers in expensive cars seem to be playing some sort of murder-for-fun game with street dogs, the number of dog hit-and-run cases is steeply rising. We, that is all of us in the streety community, need to make ourselves familiar with aspects of the law and statutes on animals so that we can bring pressure to bear on the police, the legislature and judiciary. The punishment has to match the crime. Hospital costs for injured animals is not cheap and we who care for animals are spending huge amounts of money from our pockets to pay for the barbaric acts of a few. Today, I talk to Alvin Sebastian, who is possibly Bangalore's most famous animal rights lawyer, young as he is. It wasn't that he started out wanting to study animal rights law. It wasn't even a thing when he started. But surely and surely, he found himself volunteering here and there with the number of cases of abuse and neglect on the rise. So then he decided he would get a postgraduate diploma in animal protection laws. He explains the gradual change in animal rights in India over the years from laws that only related to animals as people's property to now a law that is evolving to recognize animals as sentient beings capable of their own feelings. What's more, as human beings continue to encroach on their territory, we have a duty under Indian law to protect them. Hey Alvin, thank you so much for being on the show. Hi, Radha. Thanks for having me. I see that you are legal counsel for many animal rights groups such as CUPA, WRRC, PFA, etc. Why do these people need so much legal advice? Yes. Um, so, I do work with these organizations and I've been working with them for a while. And most animal welfare organizations in India have placed their focus in protecting animals from being abused or protecting animals from being abandoned or protect or rather providing medical assistance to animals that are sickly. And I feel that my role comes in um, as a lawyer to look at animals beyond uh, just the welfare part of it and to hold those abusers of these animals to account. Yeah, this is a critical point indeed, paving the way for animal rights to evolve and also to stop the general public from going around ill-treating animals with no legal consequence. The the reason why a lot of people don't look at animals as beings capable or worthy of respect is because the language of animals, the language of animal protection in India has been about welfare for many decades. And it is only recently that we are talking about animals as bearers of rights. We are talking about animals from the animal rights perspective. And only now are we starting to see abusers of animals being taken to court for their actions. And this has not happened for a long time. And hence, um, this evolution which has happened over the past decade is important for the overall animal movement in India. Something new is finally happening in the field of animal rights in India, right? Well, yes. So, um, at least in the recent decade, we've seen animals being looked at, not just by 
the NGOs working in animal welfare, but also by people and by the state as sentient beings capable of holding rights. And that is something that has been happening in the field of animal rights over the past, at least over the past decade. And that's where you come in. Animal rights lawyers come in. And that is right. So um, that is my role. My role essentially is to assist organizations working with animals in ensuring that abusers are held to account. And when we have instances of a few abusers being held to account, you set a certain number of deterrence of um, animal abuse. And that is the ultimate objective. You know, the animal laws in India are some of the most humane in the world, especially with regard to street dogs. Can you take us through the evolution a bit? Well, um, animal law in India has... There, ha- there has been law in India uh, regulating animals for a very long time. It's more than a century old, if you ask me. And um, these statutes have been protecting animals from abuse. And it, it started off with uh, the British law. And then after independence, we had um, an Indian statute that came in in the form of the, uh, the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals Act 1960 that created a legal duty on all persons who have custody of animals to ensure that they are protected from cruelty. Cruelty is easy enough to understand as a human being, but the law is another story. And the fact that the law, the animal law comes from the agrarian sector means something else. Can you explain? Now, the definition of cruelty also has been elaborately dealt with under the Act. But for a long time, um, most of the animals in India, at least during the period of the statute and independence, has dealt with animals as property. as uh, Because the economy was agrarian at the time. So most of the animals that concerned people were animals of economic value. But that has begun to change. The evolution that you're asking of has begun to, has begun to come to light when animals are not just looked at as property, but as beings, as uh, beings independent of economic value. That's a relief for animal lovers and animals. In the meantime, science has also evolved hugely, and we've now come to realize that animals feel and think and experience emotions. So now what's happening with the law? Well, um, what's happening to the law uh, is that we've begun to see Judges deliberating about animals, uh, street animals, pet animals, wild animals, and generally over ill treatment of animals. And various, of course, I've been part, lucky to have been part of many of these decisions. Um, and I've also read decisions passed by various high courts where we've seen the judiciary taking a compassionate stand towards animals. And that is very, very important for uh, the future generation. That is so excellent to hear. Now, there's a fine line between pets, wildlife, and animals that are considered to be food. What's the difference legally? Yes, that's right. Well, in India, there are various laws that govern different aspects of animal welfare. So, of course, we have the Umbrella Statute, which is the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals Act. But you also have the Wildlife Protection Act that protects wildlife that are listed under Schedule 1, 2, 3, 4 of the Act. You have 
the FSSCI regulations and rules that come in, especially with animals that are being consumed for food <clears throat> and the licenses, registrations, infrastructural requirements, uh, veterinary standards that needs to be followed. And uh, likewise, there are different acts that govern different kinds of animals from performing animals to uh, animals that are you consumed for food, animals that are uh, used in the agrarian sector, animals that are used uh, in the poultry sector. So all of these animals are governed under different rules under the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals Act. But I mean, this podcast is called The Indie Dog. So I want to know if street dogs in India have rights. And if so, what are these rights? In India, it's, I mean, it's hard to talk about the rights of animals because the statute, right, looks at animals in a very different light, right? So the the law that I talked to, that I spoke of, which is the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals Act, actually casts a duty on persons who are in custody of animals. So it is not that animals have the right to blah, 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 but rather it is people who have custody of animals need to ensure that the animals are not abused. That's profound and deep and confusing. So it is in a way a negative right. Uh, essentially rather a duty uh, on human beings. And of course, if they um, err in their duties, they are they will be held responsible under law. And what are these duties that human beings are supposed to have towards animals? Well, see, um, the, when you ask me what the duties of human beings are towards animals, we have a statutory duty. So a statutory duty is listed under the, Constitu- under the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals Act. And likewise, under the various acts that I spoke of, where if we are in custody of an animal, there are certain responsibilities. There are certain duties to ensure that they are fed appropriately, they're not tied, they're not abused, they're not beaten, uh, they're not, uh, you know, uh, provided deficient care, they are given sufficient water, they are given quality shelter, uh, they are not abandoned. And likewise, when um, we speak of a constitutional duty listed under the fundamental duties of the Indian constitution, we have an overreaching duty of compassion towards all living creatures. Sounds idyllic and even utopian, but nothing is enforceable, right? It probably comes down to an individual's ethics and humanity and everyone isn't going to buy into it, at least. I don't think so. Yes, that's right. And from this constitutional duty, which of course is not legally binding, but we draw an ethical responsibility of all citizens towards of compassion. I mean, ethical responsibility and compassion and all these things I do understand. But legally, who is responsible for the welfare of the street dogs? Well, ideally, when you ask me, you see a starving dog, what does the law say? When I go back to the fact that the government or the state is the ultimate custodian of the animal and hence, it is essentially the state who has to take care of these animals. The state. Hmm. But do they do that? Right? Do they come in and step? So we've seen sometimes, uh, at least with during the uh, COVID period, where we had everybody locked in and these dogs were out on the streets with no food. 
uh, we did see some initiatives by the BBMP to go out there and feed these dogs. We saw this in happening in many other states as well. So in desperate situations, desperate measures were taken, but on a daily basis, right? We don't see this happening, and that is why I feel that in the in the likelihood that they don't come and feed these dogs that are hungry it is our responsibility it's our calling um as members of the community as members of the neighborhood to step in and provide for them which leads me to the next question and the most important question feeding dogs feeding dogs on the street who has the right to do what because this is a very difficult question to answer because it causes a lot of problems for citizens by and large well feeding of dogs is a very contentious issue um and a lot of people feel that um they i mean feeding ha- happens for various reasons there are people who feed merely just out of compassion there are people who feed for religious reasons there are people who feed because uh of because they feel that it is their moral responsibility to feed dogs but for whatever the reason may be feeding essentially is not a bad thing however of course there are a lot of other people who feel that feeding dogs uh, reduces their dependency um reduces their instinct uh to i mean increases their dependency and reduces their instinct to actually look for their own food and uh, essentially not serving the animal that doesn't make any sense alvin these street dogs are domesticated animals who've lost their ability to hunt for their own food where are they going to hunt in the garbage and man is responsible for having domesticated them over thousands of years so i'm wondering is this really an argument what do the courts say the courts have held that you know feed your animals if you want to it is an extension of your uh constitutional duty to feed them but your feeding should not come in the way of other people it shouldn't inconvenience somebody else it shouldn't be a nuisance to somebody else and therefore we've had the delhi high court as well as the awbi and recently even the government of karnataka issue guidelines for responsible feeding right to ensure that it's in a space that is not crowded in a residential area uh, not in a non residential area in an open park uh, to ensure that uh, cleanliness is maintained while you're feeding or uh, to constantly replace the bowls to not feed dogs especially when uh, they are groups right to se- segregate the groups while feeding so i mean i'm not talking about a case of just throwing a few biscuits at a dog but those who go out actively with bowls and with food that they have cooked at home to feed these dogs there are certain guidelines that have been placed and so long as you're following these guidelines you should be good well okay now let's talk about relocating street dogs well uh relocation of dogs i've seen this happen rampantly over the past 4 5 years especially in bangalore and even in thane um but before of course when you talk of what used to happen in the 1990s and in the 80s people used to just go out and electrocute dogs the bbmp used to pick up these dogs and electrocute them we had instances in goa where people used to shoot dogs and there was no legal fine or repercussions for doing that it was only in 2001 that when menaka gandhi ma'am was the minister 
um, of Mamden Forest passed a bunch of rules, and one of these rules was uh, in regard to maintenance, in regard to animal birth control, where there was a statutory duty on all municipal corporations of all uh, metropol- uh, metropolitan cities to ensure that street dogs are not killed. but they are sterilized vaccinated and released to the same place where they were occupied where they were captured from rather she's done more for street dogs in india than just anyone else yes and that is essentially how the rule came about so if the bbmp comes out of a, of a van from any ngo comes to pick up these dogs be rest assured that these dogs are going to be placed back there after vaccination and after sterilization and you cannot uh, demand that these dogs be moved somewhere else or on your own you cannot take these dogs and move them somewhere else and that is essentially in violation of the dog rules of 2001 and there have been cases in the past frs have been registered and consequences um have been met okay so when a citizen commits a crime we know what to do we go to the cops what and why does the government not do its job what do we do then yeah a dearth of funds a dearth of infrastructure a dearth of human resource and the way we try we overcome that is by taking recourse to other options going to court getting directions uh, likewise lobbying with the government lobbying lobbying with the ministry lobbying with uh, influential persons uh, using social media to create awareness using uh sessions such as i mean this podcast is a great example uh citizen initiatives um adoption uh, campaigns and so many so many ways can be explored as a means of arriving at the end goal well i guess you're right citizens have to get more active there's no getting around that and there are some terrific initiatives combined with the government and citizens and ngos right yeah that's right initiatives which are both semi government and semi um citizens like with the an cruelty cell that has been set up we have the rabies um hotline as well that has been set up where we find ngos working with the government and i think ultimately answering your question whose duty is it whose responsibility is everyone's duty it's everyone's responsibility and as long as we are willing to work together as long as we are willing to understand that uh sitting on sitting at the desk and to being to being the critique is very easy but to be in the arena and to be doing the work is a whole different situation and i think we need more people in the arena here you loud and clear alvin moving on to another awful topic can you tell us about poisonings and how to deal with that legally well poisoning is again a very very sad thing we see happening and Uh, usually the protocol in these kinds of in, uh, situations is to immediately get a postmortem done so you have a government vet very clearly mentioned that this is a case of poisoning um followed by gathering evidence to point at who may have caused the poisoning that right? it could be a person who's coming in as a witness to see it uh, it could i also be security guards who have been instructed to do this and this is something that really concerns me right because one when the government or when the bbmp doesn't come in to ensure uh, sterilization vaccination you find the dog population increasing yeah it's really terrible because i mean poisonings happen all around the city quite often 
And even if you file an FIR and even if you take someone to court and even if you give them a really hard time, at the end of the day, nothing much happens to them. They pay a fine and then they can just go back home. Yeah. Uh, as of now, the law is very weak. Uh, the statutory fines are very poor. So even if they actually go and plead guilty, their fines wouldn't be more than 1,000 or 2,000 rupees. And um, while we're trying to change the law with amendments in the parliament, there is punishment in the process. And uh, till we find the fines increasing, we, we are going to have to use the laborious Indian process to serve as the alternative punishment in the meanwhile. I guess we just have to wait and see what happens. But switching subjects, Alvin, how did you get into the field of animal rights? Well, um, I mean, at least now I've been uh, widely known in the city as somebody who's involved with animal rights and animal welfare. However, when I started off, this wasn't this field didn't really exist. I mean, to be honest, it still really doesn't. But there, now we find a lot more awareness around it. We see that uh, organizations and law schools have started taking up courses and uh, guest lectures and um, elective courses on animal rights law. And I myself uh, got a postgraduate diploma from uh, National Law School in uh, Hyderabad in the year 2019. But um, how did you get started? My involvement in the field began with me simply volunteering with most of these organizations. And I started making change. I started uh, being part of lobbying. I started sending out notices. I started going to the police stations, talking to the inspectors. I started going to the court, filing cases before the court. And my effort was, of course, taken cognizance of. And eventually, uh, we've started seeing um, a lot more work with animal rights, not just from the legal side, but also from um, the side of research, from the field of journalism, from social media awareness, from even conducting uh, trainings for the police, conducting trainings for the judiciary, for the public prosecutors. All of this is happening all across India and that's great to see. Absolutely. It really is terrific. So, Alvin, while I was doing research on you before this interview, I noticed that you're doing a course on legal literacy. That sort of fascinated me. What is it? Um, a legal literacy course is something that I found to be essential, not just for um, those involved in animal rights, but just for any person in general, because the number of people in India who are educated but are legally illiterate is very concerning even basically even something as simple as going to the police and uh, going to the police and filing a complaint nobody knows to do that um addressing an issue that they have with uh customer service nobody knows the legal recourses available to them and when the the larger picture so the, if you're legally illiterate you find the bureaucrats trying to abuse you in the process and we just becomes we become victims of not just the crime or not just the abuse that is meted out to us in that particular situation but also from the state and uh, the dependence the severe dependence on lawyers is something that uh, 
we need to mitigate to some extent right and i mean i'm not saying that everybody needs to be a lawyer but to understand your rights to understand how to enforce those rights and to understand where to go to is a basic thing that i feel every citizen must know and that's the premise of the legal literacy course that i'm facilitating now so you know a few months ago priya had organized a zoom call with a lady whose name i can't remember right now who is a very big deal in the world of animal welfare and she was talking to us about various things and she mentioned a 60 page booklet on animal law that she felt was essential for anyone interested in animal rights to be familiar with that is very daunting 60 pages of law for someone who is a jazz singer basically can you have a heart and simplify it and give us something that we can quickly swallow well we've done that so as part of um, a training program for the bangalore city police we had tabulated a bunch of statutes to make it easy for the police to understand and to refer and this was done along with um, a good friend arti and with cupa of course and we decided to send this to the B- to the bangalore city police to be circulated across the district of bangalore be more than will more than happy uh, to share that with you or to put it up on cupa's websites so that it is accessible for everyone that would be terrific all right so if you want to um get a better understanding of the law go to the cupa bangalore website and hopefully alwin would have put this booklet up for everyone to see alwin sebastian everybody um he is available on all social media linkedin facebook instagram if you ever need to reach him for anything hopefully it'll just be to say hi and not to complain about some horrible animal cruelty that's dog speak for did you know did you know what cows vultures diclofenac and an increase in street dogs have in common in the 1990s about 90% of the vultures in india were wiped out on account of a now banned substance called diclofenac it's an nsaid a non steroidal painkiller that even i take sometimes but it was being used on cattle for the same reason pain now remember cow slaughter is banned in india so when cows have outlived their use for milking or in the fields they're just left to roam on their own too and this is in sarcastic quotes die naturally and when they died they would be set upon by white-billed long-billed and slender-billed vultures kind of nature's way of taking care of offal on the streets but diclofenac is lethal to them causing kidney failure and then death so when the vultures started dying at first no one knew why because they died days after being poisoned far away from the source and without vultures to clean up carcasses stray dogs started moving in and their numbers increased because diclofenac didn't have the same effect on them now by the time this cause was discovered the vulture population had already declined by 96% and the dog population had increased by some 25% diclofenac has been banned for bovine use and so one hopes that the vultures will return and the eco balance is restored for now that's it from me wolf <coughs> <coughs>